Are you looking to wager on all the big games in sports? Well, listen, I have incredible news for you. Our friends at Bet Online, they're getting it done on a weekly basis. And listen to this you got latest odds. You have news and sports development, including this year's basketball championship finals, the NHL hockey conference finals, Major League Baseball, and a heck of a lot more. Head on over to the website to use uh, the uh, special promo code uh, or your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get started, and you can get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. It's officially ice cream season in Central New York, and the locally owned and operated Carvel in North Syracuse welcomes you to come in all May long and try their strawberry and banana twist. Everything at Carvel of North Syracuse is made fresh, so no matter what kind of treat or design you want, they make it happen. Carvel is open seven days a week. Brewerton Road, North Syracuse, America's favorite since 1934, and now offering strawberry banana twist soft serve all May long. So treat yourself to some Carvel. Hey guys, this is Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. The ML Sports Platter back with you all over the major platforms. Make sure you download, subscribe, leave feedback, and a five-star review. We are brought to you by our great friends at Brewerton Ace Hardware, Bowers & Company, CPAs, and Tiny Bubbles Laundromat. If you're in and around central New York, make sure you get on over to Tiny Bubbles. They've got a lot going on there, uh, including the PayRange mobile app. If you download that, you can wash, dry, fold laundry for only a dollar a pound at select locations. Fulton, Liverpool, and East Syracuse, Tiny Bubbles Laundromat is the official laundromat of the ML Sports Platter. And I do want to throw a tip of the cap thank you as well out there to Carvel of North Syracuse, the Syracuse Fitness Store, and Prestwick Golf. So this is kind of a a two-topic podcast. Um, I'm going to play a crossover episode from the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. I had uh, just a terrific time talking to Nate Geary from WGR 550 on Bill's OTAs, the match with uh, Rodgers, Brady, Mahomes, and Allen, um, you know, and a bunch of other topics concerning the Buffalo Bills. Uh, but I'm going to start the the episode here uh, with, with a little bit of hockey. And basically, I'm recording this uh, the day after the Edmonton Oilers uh, got swept by the Colorado Avalanche uh, in four games. And, and let's be honest, Edmonton is one of the most fun teams to watch uh, in all of sports, not just hockey, but in all of sports. And, you know, they went through uh, uh, just two series where they were absolutely favored. They lost game one to the Kings, won the next two, then lost two. They were down 3-2. And you started to think, oh boy, you know, if Edmonton starts to blow another one here and they end up losing, is this finally the blow-up period where, I don't know, maybe Edmonton trades Leon Dreisaitl. Um you know, which I had mentioned a while back, uh, looking kind of foolish now with that take, but uh, just kind of was looking at depth pieces and other needs that they might need. And without one of the guys, Dreisaitl and McDavid, and you're not going to trade, you're not going to trade McDavid. Um, he's the best player in the world. Um, and Dreisaitl is amazing. I mean, he's probably in the top, good grief. He's probably in the top, depending on your list, two to five or six players in the NHL. I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's below 
you know, six or seven, um, really. I mean, when you think about it, um, Nathan McKinnon on the other side for Colorado has got to be in that group, right? Probably Cal McCarr is in that group. Um, you know, but it, it's a short list for sure. Austin Matthews, Ovechkin still maybe is considered, right? Crosby maybe is considered, but I don't think yet you go past that seven. And he's in the top 10. And I don't know as if you go past, you know, six, seven ish with him. And you could make an argument. He's number two. You really could. So they win against the Kings. They win the last two games on the road 4-2 and then at home 2-0. Then they play the Flames, lose game one again, then win four in a row. So it set us up for the all-time, you know, epic uh, series against against Colorado, right? And you kind of got a feeling after the first two games that maybe Edmonton was a little in over its head, right? I mean, they lose 8-6, just wildly entertaining games, by the way, except for game two. Um, an 8-6 game, just back and forth. Um, you know, game two, they lose 4 nothing, just completely got shut out, just, you know, couldn't finish anything. Game three, they lose 4-2, it was just a two-goal game. And then a one-goal loss in game four at home, where I really thought Edmonton, you know, being down 0-3, you pretty much know your toast. It takes a minor miracle you know, to come back from something like that. And, you know, they really came out and played hard, I thought. Um, they just came up a little bit short, uh, the game going to OT. A, a lot of back and forth in the third period. You just didn't know how this game was really going to end. Um, it was just kind of a wild, wild state of affairs when you think about it. I mean, after two periods, Edmonton, you know, was up three to nothing. And you kind of said, okay, you know, like, they, they got a little bit of room here. You know, they'll get one. They won't get swept. That's I was, I was rooting for Edmonton to win. Um, I mean, I wanted him to win the series as well because I want to see McDavid go as far as humanly possible. But I do like this Avalanche group as well. But then Colorado just bang, 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 bang. Four third-period goals. Edmonton did, did, did get two. Um, you know, and then they went into overtime, and uh, and that was that. And, you know, when you, when you look at the game and when you look at the way Edmonton lost um, repeatedly in, 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 the, in, in the Stanley Cup playoffs – you know, what's next for this team is basically um, all the things that we have talked about, right? I mean, over and over again with with Edmonton. And you're seeing, even though they got, don't get me wrong, Yamamoto, Zach Cassian, uh, Hyman, uh, those kind of guys, Nugent Hopkins, they have depth pieces, but they don't have quite as much as Colorado. And I've said it forever, you need... Goaltending, depth, special teams better than the other team, the, you know, the other team's special teams. And, and you need, um, you know, your stars to be better than their stars. And Edmonton stars were equal to the task, if not more, against, you know, Colorado. I mean, just look at the final game of this series, right? Connor McDavid, you know, goal and two assists. Right, uh, Drysidle had uh, had four assists, you know, and both of those guys were everywhere. And oh, by the way, Drysidle was playing on a horrendously bummed ankle, uh, not once but twice in this postseason, and gutted it out all the way until the end of the Avalanche series. But Colorado just a little bit more, and you know the depth pieces that Colorado has, they're actually better players. I think that's the other big one. You can be a deep team, but 
if your players, your depth pieces aren't just third and fourth line grinders, hey, go out and shut down the top line, you know, go kill a penalty for us, dig deep, block shots, blah, blah, blah. Basically the Lightning getting, you know, guys like Patty Maroon and Corey Perry uh, in there, but they can also score. And those depth pieces are a lot better than a lot of other teams, right? And that's another reason why Tampa is where they are for the third straight season. Colorado's guys, I mean, Arturi Lekkonen's been terrific uh, all playoffs long, and Miko Rantanen has been unstoppable. Both of those guys scored goals. You know, Landeskong got a goal. Devin Taves, I haven't even mentioned him yet in this podcast. He was sensational again and scored to open up the third period um, in which... uh, uh, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I missed this one. Edmonton was up 3-1 after two. I apologize. And then Colorado got four goals in the third, and Edmonton got the two goals in the third. I'm sorry. I Colorado did score in the first period. So it wasn't Edmonton wasn't up 3-0 in shutout form going into the third period. Um, you know, and then it was Colorado scores, right? With Taves, 3-2, then Hyman, 4-2. You know, then Landeskong cuts it to one again for Colorado, 4-3. Then McKinnon ties it at four. Then Ranton and gets it at five for you. Like, oh, 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 that's gotta be it, right? Colorado, too much, too. And then bang, Cassian scores, it's five-five. And then, of course, Lekkinen with the, you know, the the wild sort of it was a shot from the from the right corner. And and Lekkinen kind of went up a little bit. The stick looked looked high, uh, but it, you know, they allowed it. Apparently it wasn't high enough. Uh, and he kind of just went to 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 try and, you know, kind of knock it down and maybe even deflect it past you know, the goaltender, Mike Smith, and ended up batting it in front, and then he just knocked it in. You know, he basically batted it to himself um, somewhat off the goaltender, but um, was just a great a great game. And, you know, I just look at it like I think Edmonton does have, you know, a, a lot of nice pieces, but they're still a little bit missing there somewhere. And I think they could use, you know, a really, really – strong, and I know Darnell Nurse is, is a number one D to Edmonton fans and many hockey, you know, pundits out there, but I think he needs help. You know, Barry is a nice player, um, but like Bouchard and CeCe and Duncan Keith's older, older now and Russell and Kulak, like these guys aren't, you know, they need a couple more defensemen. They need one other I think defensive stud, especially the way they let the opposition into the uh, into the into the scoring lanes repeatedly. I mean, they are literally living in their own zone before they make one small clear, and that clear usually comes from you know a quick touch pass to McDavid or Drysaddle, and then they can take it the whole distance of the ice. Right? Um, how many times have we seen that? We see it every single game. That's how they play. They're freewheeling. They're fun. They're finesse driven but they need a little bit more on the defense corpse. They need a little bit more in the grit department, and they definitely need a freaking goaltender uh, who's better than Mike Smith. I think Mike Smith, you know, as far as the Colorado series, he probably held his own as much as he could, Um, you know, but I got to say, I mean, if I'm Edmonton, you know, I'm I'm going for maybe uh, either in a different direction or I'm adding someone you know, to give Smith uh, some kind of a, you know, a breather um, a little bit more during the regular season. Um, you know, this guy went 16-9-2, you know, during the regular season. Um, math holds correct. It's 27 games started. Um, can he be a number one goalie? You know, can he be the guy who, you you know, can he turn into a Vasilevsky 
Shesterkin. Uh, right now, it doesn't look that way, um, but you never know. Um, but I just look at this team, and I'm looking at maybe another piece or two offensively, uh, you know, from the grind you down department, right? Depth pieces, um, you know, that can do that and then also score and be better than the other team, right? And then I think you definitely need help on defense, and you got to figure out what's going on, you know, in goal. Mike Smith has his moments. You know, I know he had some injuries and all the rest this year. He has his moments. Um, but I don't think in a short period of time, Mike Smith is going to turn into Vasilevsky and Shesterkin. And I say short time because Mike Smith is 40 years old. I thought he was actually in his mid-30s. I just looked it up. He's, he's 40. So uh, I have to believe that this is probably the end for him in Edmonton. Um, and just looking up his, so Mike Smith has been in the, uh, in the league for quite some time and stars, lightning, coyotes, flames, oilers. It's amazing how, uh, how much these guys do in fact, uh, bounce around. Um, so he has a cap hit of 1.5 million from last year. Uh, and then well, 2020, 2021, and then I guess a cap hit upcoming of 2.2 UFA uh, after that. Um, Again, I just don't know what the deal is with, you know, Edmonton in terms of what they want to do. And I think, you know, when you look at this team, they're clearly, clearly lacking. You know, there's no doubt about it. Smith signed a six-year, $34 million contract with the Coyotes on June 30th of 2013. Um, and, uh, you know, that that money, you know, that was a six-year deal um, was for a guy who they thought would blossom into an elite backstop for them. Um, and it, it, did not, it did not come to fruition. Um, he's a solid goaltender. Uh, at times he can be dominating. That's very similar to many other players in the NHL. Um, but we'll see what happens. I mean, in July of 2021, uh, he was 39 years old and he um, signed a two-year $4.4 million contract with the Oilers. So 21-22 and now 22-23 upcoming, they do have him on the books for one more year. Um you know, he could have been an unrestricted free agent, but he said that there was some unfinished business and staying with Edmonton. Um, but again, I, I just, this is a guy who's, you know, less than 30 games over 500. Uh, he does his GAA is 2.69. Uh, well, it, it's been around 2.50 to 3.00 for his career. Um, you know, he, he's, he's around that, that record wise, I think, you know, 25, 30 games over 500. Um, you know, and he's, again, he's had his moments, you know, he really has, um, you know, when you look at with Edmonton, Calgary, Coyotes, Tampa, Stars, um, you know, on occasion, he can shut you out on occasion. He can have a 45 save game, right? Um, but can he do it consistently? Can he be a number one guy? Um, can he be a number one guy quickly, uh, and, and be a major, major difference maker? I mean, he hasn't done it in the last, you know, seven, eight, nine years. I mean, my goodness, he signed that deal nine years ago with the Coyotes, you know, and he was 31 and he didn't do it 
at all during that contract. Um, so I think Edmonton probably needs to figure this out and go get a, a big-time goaltender. Maybe you try to go trade for somebody. Uh, you're so close to a cup uh, that maybe you go and just break the bank for a Marc-Andre Fleury and tell him, hey, you're going to come in here. You know, you're our number one guy. We still want to be loyal to Mike, but like, let's, let's, you know, share reps and whatnot. We'll give you, you know, 40, uh, 45 to, you know, 55 ish starts. And we're going to give him 20, 25 ish, right? Cause that's what he did last year. Uh, maybe you give flower 50 to 60 and you give Smith 20, 2022. Uh, but they're so close to a Stanley cup that if they can get a backbone goaltender, Sign somebody on a one-year deal and just go for it hard. You know, if you have to eat some draft picks and make some trades, okay. Uh, maybe you go to Chicago and try to, you know, grab a couple of those guys, uh, depending on what salary looks like and all the rest, you know, that the, they're kind of, I think, heading more towards a rebuild now than, than they were, you know, uh, probably a few years ago. Um, you know, go, 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 those, go to those kind of places, you know. Um, you know, money-wise, Kyle Oposo makes a lot of money with the Sabres, but he could be a good fit there. Um, you know, a guy who can score, who's better than a lot of other third and fourth liners, um, a guy who's gritty, a guy who's great in the locker room, tremendous penalty killer. Uh, he's finally healthy again. You know, that's a player that I think about with Edmonton, a player that they're missing. Defense, grinders, and depth pieces who can also score and be better than the other team, and you need your goalie. Other than that, you probably keep the team intact, right? I mean, Darnell Nurse shouldn't be going anywhere. Um, you know, you've got Tyson Berry, who's 30 years old. He shouldn't be going anywhere. Uh, you know, Yamamoto is only 23. I mean, you gotta you got to keep him, right? Um, contractually, I don't know what's going on with a lot of these guys. Um, you know, Hyman clearly, you know, at 29 showed a bunch, you know, what do you do with Evander Kane? Um, you know, but obviously you, you want to build around the two big dogs, right? Uh, they could get a lot younger at the center position outside of Dreisaitl and, uh, Connor McDavid. Dreisaitl's 26, McDavid's 25. But if you look at the rest of these guys, it's 34, it's 29, it's 29, it's, uh, I get, well, McLeod's 22, uh, it's 35, um, you know, it's uh, it's 33, it's 27, it's 32. So they could stand to get a little bit younger uh, with that center corpse. But it was a great year for Edmonton. It was a fun year. Um, I can't imagine how difficult it is to lose in the Stanley Cup playoffs with the grind that's the preseason, the 82-game regular season, the travel, uh, the practices, uh, your body wearing down as the postseason goes on, um, trying to do it on skates, uh, all the block shots, all the stitches and blood and blood, sweat and tears and all the rest. I, I just, it's got to be so difficult to lose, um, you know, especially the day after you wake up and know that, you know, the season's over. So uh, I think Edmonton is here for quite a while, though. Um, but I think that they need to shore up a little bit of those things that I mentioned. And I think they could be right back in the conference finals as early as next season. I know that's easier said than done. Um you know, it, it's still a very, very recent thing. I mean, Edmonton just lost. It's very fresh. But I think they still could, you know, get back if they make, uh, you know, maybe two or three additions. And I think they could be, you know, just fine. So 
Um, I, uh, I can't wait to see what's in store for the Edmonton Oilers moving forward. The ML Sports Platter is all over the major platforms like Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher, Deezer, and more. Go ahead and download, subscribe, leave feedback, and a five-star review. We are brought to you by our great friends at the Vince Aguirre Consulting Group, Stanley Law Offices, and Burn Dairy. Burn Dairy, man. If you're in and around Central New York, get on over to Burn Dairy, participating locations, fill up your gas tank, grab the hot and cold food, the donuts and chocolate milk on your way in, and... There's more. You'll hear all about that right here. And then Nate Geary on the other side from WGR 550 talking Buffalo Bills football. This is the ML Sports Platter. Before sunrise, Burn Dairy and Deli is preparing to fuel your day with hot coffee, donuts, muffins, breakfast sandwiches, and other morning staples. For lunch, grab a giant deli sandwich made the way you like it. Pizza, wings, wraps, or a fresh salad. Plus, something to wash it down. Then pick up dinner or a sweet treat and other pantry essentials. Now you can get your Burn Dairy and Deli favorites delivered with DoorDash. All day, every day, you can Count on Burn Dairy and Deli. It's all good. It is Bedlam. It is Pandemonium. It is Fandemonium. It is fantastic. It's your boy DM3, and you're listening to Pandemonium with Mike Lindsley on the Buffalo Bills, exclusively on the Built to Buffalo Podcast Network. What's up, Bills Mafia? I'm Mike Lindsley. Hit me on Twitter at Mike L Sports, and be sure to follow us all over the social media platforms here, the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. This, of course, is the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network Pandemonium Podcast, and uh, we're delivering, look, seven days a week of coverage, uh, audio, video, you name it, articles, so go check us out all over the social platforms, and uh, that includes Twitter, at Built in Buffalo underscore, and let's get right to it, talking some Bills football with my man, Nate Geary, WGR 550, the Bills pregame and halftime show host. Uh, We're going to get into some OTAs, the match, and a heck of a lot more with Nate at Nate Geary Sports on Twitter. Hey Nate, thanks for a few. My pleasure, man. It's uh, good to be back. So you're a huge golf guy. You cover the Bills. Uh, what'd you think of the match? Oh, the match was awesome. Um, you know, listen, it, it's golf's not for everyone. If you don't love watching golf, or if you don't even you know like watching it at all, you probably um, felt the same way about that that you do watching normal golf. But at the same time. Um, it was fun watching, you know, some of the best quarterbacks in the league compete outside of the realm of the football field. So I had a great time. Uh, we we had a we hosted a watch party for GR at uh, at the public house in the lake in Hamburg, just outside of Buffalo. And uh, I think it was probably equally as fun to collectively as a group talk trash about Tom Brady as it was just watching the uh, the actual match play out in real time. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Golf is really something, isn't it? Because you know, here here it is, and you said it. I mean, the best quarterbacks in the NFL are out on the golf course. They can basically do no wrong on a football field. And then you put them on the golf course, and, you know, guys are shanking drives left and right. Allen had a tough day. Um, you know, eventually you're going to miss some putts. Uh, it, it's Golf is such a different animal. Uh, did you 
think that when you were watching too? Like, man, th- th- these are the best quarterbacks in the world, and yet here's golf to humble you. You know, we can always go to golf if you need a humbling. You know, bring somebody to the golf course, Nate. You know, yeah, there's no doubt about that. And the only thing that has ever humanized Tom Brady is watching him play last week on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, you know, he obviously did not play very well. Josh, I didn't play very well either. But yeah, you're you're totally right. It's like one of those games where you know, like I play a lot. I mean, I play three, four, five times a week. If I get the chance to play, I'll play. Um, and you know, all that time, all that effort, you know, I still, you know, struggle at times. And it just, it's one of the more difficult and humbling sports you can play out there. Um, so yeah, I, you know, if, if you're a casual fan of football or golf, um, seeing guys that, you know, are at the top of their profession struggle the way that they did on national television, it, it, it does kind of create a level of, okay, these guys are human beings. In fact, they are not, uh, they are not machines. How will you remember the career of Ryan Fitzpatrick, Nate? Mm, uh, well, fondly, first and foremost. You know, I know the end uh, didn't really go the way that he or the franchise uh, wanted it to go. And I know when he signed that extension, there was a desire from both team, both the team and the, you know, the organization and the player, you know, to be here longer and have a longer um, stretch of success than they did. And, um, you know, I, I, I think – that there will be a level of companionship. There'll be a level of connection between the city of Buffalo and the organization and Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's good to see that it's a mutual thing too. And he recognizes that seeing him at the, you know, at the wild card home playoff game against the Patriots and the negative degree temperatures with his shirt off while he's still <laughs> under contract with another team um, will sort of be emboldened and brazened in my head forever. Um, so, you know, I, I think, the thing that we'll always appreciate about Ryan Fitzpatrick is his, you know, endearing love for the city of Buffalo is, um, you know, it was pretty obvious during his, um, you know, quiet retirement here that, uh, you know, the, the bills ended up putting that through their transaction wire, meaning he's likely will uh, retire as a Buffalo bill, which I think is a fitting way to end his career. He bounced around the league a ton. Um, but the one place that he always kind of comes back to that he lives full time is here in Western New York and in Buffalo. And, uh, and I think there will always be that connection to the city of Buffalo and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah. I, I feel like that game warranted, uh, a Del Reed t-shirt, you know, from 26 <laughs> shirts, I think putting Fitz on the front or something with the, uh, with the shirt off. Um, OTAs, what do you think the bills going in wanted to accomplish and what do you think they have accomplished? Well, I think OTAs are tough, right? Um, I think they wanted to have great participation, great attendance numbers. I think they got that done. Um, I, you know, and in my opinion, too, you know, we saw over this last weekend um, a lot of the media folks that were covering the Von Miller Pass Rush Academy um, where, you know, A.J. Epinesa and Boogie Bash and Greg Rousseau all attended. Those are the sorts of things in the offseason, and it's sort of it's hard to place a value on how valuable that is to the young guys on this roster who who need some veteran leadership who need um you know to be around some of the games best to take the next step and it's great to see that not only have the bills invested in a you know hall of fame caliber player on, on the defensive end in, in terms of on miller but a guy who is you know kind of actively leading the charge at the position across the league and and bringing guys together and 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 looking to get better and passing off advice and and techniques and and I think that's the sort of stuff that you really get out of OTAs and then obviously into these you know like the tight end academy is another one I know that Greg Kittle and Travis Kelsey run and Dawson Knox will be at that we heard a lot from him on how 
productive and how useful that was for him last year and, and sort of taking his step last year in year three. So I think for me, Mike, what it kind of comes down to is this is the time of year where you really hone in your skills, sharpen, you know, iron sharpens iron as the, as the expression goes. So getting Von Miller in here, um, you know, getting some of these new players, these new faces, the, especially on the defensive line in and together um, so that they can start molding a, you know, a you know, not necessarily a new culture. There is a pretty established culture here in Buffalo at this organization, but um, knowing that there's new faces, new names, um, new numbers, right? I think that familiarity really matters and that team building and bonding, which again, you know, looking forward into training camp, I am glad that the Bills will be back in Rochester this year um, because it's really hard to replicate. Uh, I know Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have mentioned this a ton of times about their um, their time at St. John Fisher College is, you know, that, that it's really hard to replicate that team building when you've got guys in college dorms all with the same beds and, you know, playing Xbox together and, and having the, that month-long bond being built there at St. John Fisher, it's unlike really any experience they can replicate. So I, I think part of it is just getting guys in the room, get them acclimated with the system, with the organization, with the voices at the top. Um, and I think that they probably did that in spades. And I know we got mandatory mini camp coming up. This mandatory mini camp will be a little bit more install than I'm sure this was, which was, Hey, let's get everybody together. Let's start talking terminology. Let's start talking and talking about technique and, and fundamentals. But as you get into mandatory minicamp and ultimately training camp, that's really where you're going to see more install from both offense and defensive coordinators. Nate Geary, WGR 550, our guest here on the Pandemonium Podcast. I'm Mike Lindsley uh, on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. And make sure you follow Nate uh, on Twitter at Nate Geary Sports. Um, the player on offense, the player on defense that you think will take the biggest leap forward. I'll go defensively first, and I, I'm going to go with Greg Rousseau. I know we just kind of talked about the pass rush academy, right? I, I think from a underrated rookie campaign perspective, there may not be a more underrated player in last year's rookie class than Greg Rousseau, one of the league's best run-stopping defensive ends in all of football, and I think that went really under the radar. Now, the sack numbers weren't there in year one. He did go through a stretch where the pressures and sack numbers were stagnant. He went several games without a sack, but I think now – Mike, that Von Miller will be on the other side and having Boogie Basham um, being able to complement sort of the skill set that Greg Rousseau has. I think Rousseau is kind of going to be on track for a big year two jump. You know, there's going to be no double teams. He's going to be able to move around a little bit more. He'll continue to be and probably take a step up in terms of that edge run defending, um, which we know is super important in a Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier defense that that defensive end that you can count on to set the edge and be a responsible run defender to free up the pass rusher on the other side. In this case, it'll be Von Miller. I think that offers a lot um, for Gregory Rousseau, and I think he's not going to face very many double teams, if any at all. And that should free him up to have a big sophomore year campaign. So I'm expecting defensively the guy to really step up this year is Greg Rousseau. And in terms of the offense, you know, I think there's several guys you could point to. I think I'm going to stay on the, on the, in the trenches on the offensive line. And I'm going to go second year player, Spencer Brown, the, the team starting right tackle. I think now with Aaron Cromer, um, who's going to be familiar with um, the best ways to sort of get the most and extract the most out of this offensive line and find a system that really fits them as a run blocking team, because we know, um, that they were good enough at times last year as pass blockers where they really needed um, a step up was in the run game. And we saw that in the second half of the season when you saw Ryan Bates get put into the lineup. I think it opened up a lot of things. Year two for Spencer Brown, I'm expecting him to be a road grader. I expect that right side of the offensive line, with um, which will likely be Ryan Bates next to 
Spencer Brown to have a really big impact on opening holes and moving uh, moving the line of scrimmage upward this year. So I'm really excited to see what uh, you know what Spencer Brown does in Aaron Cromer's um, you know new system on the offensive line. Is it fair, Nate, in 2022 to have the Super Bowl or bust <laughs> mentality? And I ask that because not, look, I understand the great off season, the terrific draft, you know, the moves being made. Uh, you know, from a cap standpoint, uh, Allen's growth. I, I, I know all of that, but there's also a bunch of other teams in the AFC, mm-hmm. and they're all really, really good, and there's a ton of quarterbacks, and there's a ton of players coming over from the NFC. It's going to be very, very hard to get through all of them and stand on top of the mountain in February of 2023. Is Super Bowl or bust really okay? I mean, is that is that... I mean, should people be saying that and thinking that still? You know, it's funny. I kind of talked about this on my show on Saturday on WGR on Sports Talk Saturday. And, you know, I do think that those national expectations are there, right? Like you have Josh Allen, who is walking into the season as the favorite for the 2022 MVP award. You got the Bills that are pretty universally favored to be the AFC contender, the AFC, um, you know, team to represent that conference in the Super Bowl. You've got Sean McDermott, who's, you know, on the top of just about everyone's coach of the year candidate list. So, you know, little by little, you start to get down this list of all these really high expectations that have been placed both on individuals in this team and organization, but also the team as a whole. I, I do think that we are kind of entering that Super Bowl or bust window. I think it was probably starting last year. Um, obviously, they don't get out of the divisional round, and that was disappointing. They they go out, they sign Von Miller to a six-year, $120 million deal. They re-sign Stephon Diggs to a long-term extension, making him one of the highest-paid wide receivers in football. But I think the reason that you get the four or bust at the end of that Super Bowl um, is because of – the dwindling window you're going to have these core group of players around, right? Like Jordan Poyer's entering a situation where he wants a contract extension. I'm not sure he's going to get that. Um, you have uh, Tremaine Edmonds who enters the final year of his rookie deals and his fifth year option. He'll be a free agent next year. The same can be said about Dawson Knox. Um, so you start to get down the line here and start to get down the list, Mike, and you realize very quickly that there are a lot of marquee players on this team that may be moving on next year based on whether or not the team has enough cap space um, to make some of those contracts work based on some of the most recent signings they've had. So for me, the or bust comes from, you know, the longevity of keeping this group together because guys age out, contracts happen, contract disputes happen. And, and I think the further and further down the road we get here, the more likely those situations pop up. Okay. In closing, Nate, you're going to be proud of me. I uh, went out to Buffalo, uh, I guess, what would it be, a, about a couple months ago and saw my cousin, played Harvest Hill, had barbell nice. bar bill wings for the first time. I, I immediately put him up to the top, not just from uh, all the hype and everything, and, and then having him and, and having to do that. I really, truly believe that they're the best that I've had. Um, so uh, I, I got a little bit more Buffalo in me, Nate. I know you're proud of those two visits. Absolutely, I am. Uh, yeah, Barbell is as good as it gets, oh. man. Anytime, uh, anytime anyone asks me where to send somebody, um, it's Barbell. They just have some of the best wings I've ever had. But it's not even just the wings, it's the beef on whack. It's just everything. It, it is uniquely Buffalo. Um, that's where the players go. It's where people from out of town are always kind of flocking to. So I'm glad you got there. Glad you got a little golf in. Hopefully the weather was good for you. Um, you know, it's been kind of a tough tough start to our to our summer season in terms of golf. A lot of rain, but hey, you know, it, it makes the courses greener and uh, and even more high quality. There's a lot of great golf here in western New York, so 
you, you picked a great course and a great place to eat. And uh, I'm sure you'll uh, next time you're up, we'll make sure we, we, we get out for a quick round. And we got a nice Casey Middlestat goal to beat the Blackhawks that night and nice. sweet and with sweet tickets. So it was a it was a terrific uh, day and evening uh, in Western New York, without a doubt. Well, he does a great job covering the Buffalo Bills pregame and halftime host for WGR 550 Catches Saturday Show as well, and he is on Twitter at Nate Geary Sports. Nate, always love our chats. Uh, continued success, my friend. Thanks you as well, Mike. Anytime. Uh, appreciate you having me. I kind of want to spend the second half of the podcast here, and, and again, a great conversation with Nate Geary as it, as it always is. Um, I, I wanted to kind of get into the Bills, a, a position that I've asked guests about, um, you know, that I've read about a ton. The Bills were obviously extremely active uh, in the NFL draft, uh, adding depth to this position. Uh, they brought somebody from the outside in, and they re-signed one of their own. And that position is the slot receiver position. I am really, really intrigued with this position and and how many you know, slices of the pie are going to be given to certain guys. You know, like if you had to take a, a percentage pie of the slot receiver and say, okay, this percentage is going to be Isaiah McKenzie. This percentage is going to be Jamison Crowder. This, you know, this this part is going to be uh, Khalil Shakir, uh, depending on if he can, you know, get, get going. And, and oh, by the way, they just recently signed Tavon Austin. Uh, I remember, goodness, he's been in the league nine years already. I remember... Uh, covering him in college at West Virginia. Um, and and I went to, a, I think it was a pinstripe bowl uh, against Syracuse. Um, he was a part of that, I think, Geno Smith, uh, Stedman Bailey kind of team. So, um, But anyway, the slot receiver uh, is a very interesting one because here's the thing. You have so many options and you have so much uh, versatility and you have such an unbelievable blend. I mean, you have height, uh, you have speed, you have size. Uh, Shuli, uh, Khalil Shakir is six foot one ninety, um, kind of like a, a, a shifty, fast guy, but he also can, you know, use his body. Um, McKenzie is short, five eight, one seventy three, a little bit lighter, um, but he's quick as hell, and he provides a different, unique style of running. Jamison Crowder is around the same, you know, the same build. 5'9", 177. Tavon Austin, 5'8", 176. Those guys um, should all get their their reps, there's no doubt. But the one thing that the Bills have this year, um, you know, that they didn't have in years past, is they have a just so many weapons that Josh Allen can dump the ball off to, Right? I mean, he can just, when the blitz comes at him, he doesn't have time to, you know, check down a bunch of places. He can't get the pass deep to Diggs. He can't get the pass wherever Gabe Davis is. He can't get the pass to a Dawson Knox or an O.J. Howard. He's going to be able to do a lot of those get-down throws, right? He's going to just a quick little throw to a Devin Singletary, to a, you know, Khalil Shakir, to a Jameson Crowder, to a James Cook. Uh, whether that's a little bit over the middle with the slot, whether that's to the side with one of these guys, because um, you know, I, I would fully expect Ken Dorsey's offense to have uh, as much mixing and matching as Brian Dable's offense, if not more. Um, 
you know, but just get down throws, right? Like I, I'm under pressure. I, I'm under siege, man. I, I need some help here. Um, and I only have about a half a second to a second at most to get rid of the ball, you know, and finding my option. And I think that the slot guys will be able to help that, um, the cause there with that immediately. Um, I think as it looks right now, I think I would probably put, you know, McKenzie. And there's been talk by some people predicting that Jameson Crowder might go through training camp and then not even, you know, not even make the roster. Um, right now, I, I don't see that happening. Um, but if I had to take the percentage of this position, uh, I do think Khalil Shakir is going to be a factor in year one. I mean, I think he will get some playing reps. There's no question. Um, I might lean towards maybe to start the season, 40% McKenzie, 35% Crowder, and then 20% Shakir, and then maybe five going to Tavon Austin or maybe flipping those because the veteran, um, you know, over the rookie, whatever the case may be. Um, maybe all these guys aren't on the roster, and then it just gets split up between two or three guys. Um, but right now, the slot position is a very fascinating position for me, uh, as is, in a way, running back. Because I think James Cook, you know, out of Georgia, and again, that team got all the accolades last year for its defense, one of the great single-season defenses in college football history. But man, was there a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball as well, and that includes the running back James Cook. He's just a he's a big bowling ball type of guy. I mean, he's 5'11", 190, 200 pounds. Um, you know, the Bills get him in the second round, but he's a guy who is going to be able to catch the ball and just zip right downfield. Um, he's a good blocker. He can run in between tackles. He can run to the outside. Um, he's going to be a get-down throw for Josh Allen. Um, and, and, you know, something else to keep in mind is the running back position. You know, Zach Moss's days are probably numbered. Uh, Devin Singletary's contract is up at the end of this year. I mean... <laughs> You know, it's it's going to be a fascinating watch. You know, I think you could argue the two most fascinating positions to watch on the Bills this year are running back and slot receiver for all the reasons I mentioned. Because let's be honest, wide receiver, overall wide receiver, everybody feels pretty good and is expecting great things and pretty much knows what it's going to see out of Gabe Davis and Stephon Diggs. Pretty much know what we're going to see out of Dawson Knox, right? I mean, if he's even equal to last year and a little bit ahead of that, uh, he's going to have just a fantastic year, right? The offensive line, I mean, Nate alluded to Spencer Brown. Um, it was a very good pick, a very unique pick for, you know, for a guy to take the leap forward. Um, you know, but I think the offensive line last year was once they got intact and once they got healthy and, and they figured out positions and whatnot, you know, the offensive line I thought was really, really good. Um, you know, Sean McDermott tried to force the run game down the throat of, of, of Brian Dable when Devin Singletary wasn't Devin Singletary yet, you know, as the year was going on, and the offensive line wasn't healthy. And then, you know, you fast forward a few weeks, weather gets a little bit colder, and those things start to come to fruition, right? They start to manifest. Okay, well, now we can run the ball this way, we can do this this way, we can you know, have Josh Allen roll out X amount of times. We can limit him running. Um, Mitch Morse was a staple anchor at center. Uh, and then, obviously, you've got, you know, other guys who had great years. Feliciano was hurt uh, and had corona. 
but Dawkins was really good. Uh, you know, after that Titans game where he got blown up at the one yard line uh, and Allen slipped, um, yeah, he, he's just he's an All Pro blindside tackle. I mean, he's just a, he's just a terrific football player. Spencer Brown, Ryan Bates, right? Like the offensive line, I think we kind of have a pretty good feeling um, about these guys, I think. And, you know, you obviously add a Roger Saffold to it. Um, you know, the, the, the line is, is, is really good, really deep. Um, you know, you, you kind of have a feeling what you're going to see out of the defense, right? We know how Poyer and Hyde play, right? We know Matt Milano will be all over the place. We know, um, you know, at Oliver, again, is kind of like Knox from last year in terms of, hey, if, if, if you can get at least last year out of him, if you get something more, he's obviously going to be basically on the, on the, you know, on the cusp of superstardom. Um, you know, you know what you're going to get from the corners. Uh, I mean, look, I, I guess Kyrie Elam, uh, you know, being a rookie, uh, we might not know, but we can kind of expect it. I mean, I think, um, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be, a good one. Uh, you know, I, I think when Trey, you know, Trey White comes back, you know, we, we know what Taron Johnson is. Um, we're, we're, we're pretty much expecting instant impact and rightfully so for a first ballot hall of famer and Von Miller. Like there's a lot, there are a lot of guys, a lot of positions that we're already kind of, we already have evidence of them and we also have a certain expectation for them with the slot receiver. Other than McKenzie getting 30 to 40% of the slot receiver reps or more, um, I don't really know about the slot. I don't. Uh, the running back position, we had some evidence with Singletary. But now Cook just pre pre you know presents this entire you know new element to the Bills offense. And I just love it. You know, I really do. So I have my eyes on those two positions right now. I am uh, I am looking forward to seeing how you know these things play out. Um, you know, can the slot guys together uh, make up for the production loss with Cole Beasley not there? Um, you know, Cook and Singletary could they become a one-two punch um, that is very very difficult to deal with? Uh, Singletary, though, 5'7", 203 pounds, and Cook is 5'11", um, 190, 195. So they are similar players, but the difference is Cook is an advanced catcher out of the backfield coming out of college, uh, and I think that really enticed Brandon Bean. I mean, I think that really, um, you know, was attractive to him. Like, what are we missing? And that's why they looked at Travis Etienne last year. Right, that's why Brees Hall was on the board on a lot of people's mocks. Um, you know, it's hard with the Bills with a roster like them, or with the Chiefs, or the Bucks, or or whoever to say, "Oh, wow, you know, we really need this and this and this." And usually, that's you know, water cooler discussion for teams like the Jets, the Giants, the Jags. Uh, you know, just kind of trying to get back on the rails a little bit, right? Uh, the Lions. Uh, those type of teams, you know, like, uh, uh, boy, we, we, we really need, you know, ABC. The Bills, you know what, for as complete a team as a lot of those clubs I just mentioned are, um, you still, if you dive deep, and this is where, you know, you're never satisfied uh, as a head coach or a general manager or an owner, 
Um, you know, you, you dig deep enough, you, you still always find something that you really were missing. And in the Bills' case, I think they feel like they've solved uh, even more production, um, implementing you know more guys at the slot, and then getting James Cook in the draft. So I am really, really, really pumped up for those two positions to watch how they unfold, to see where the reps are shared, um, the different dynamics of different players. Um, I, I think there's home run potential at both spots. Um, I, I just can't wait. I, I think the running back position and the slot receiver position are going to be terrific um, storylines for the Bills in 2022. Thanks for listening to the Pandemonium Podcast, part of the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. Make sure you follow us on all the social channels at Built in Buffalo underscore on Twitter. Uh, a big part of that as well. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Again, seven days a week of round-the-clock Buffalo Bills coverage, video, audio, articles, you name it. We're doing it seven days a week. And also, big-time thank you to Nate Geary from WGR 550 in Buffalo for chatting some Bills football with us here as well. I'm Mike Lindsley, your host. Thanks for listening. I'm on Twitter as well, at Mike L Sports. And as I always tell you, enjoy the games. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.